Welcome to the intersection of faith and the culture. It's Wall Builders Live. We're taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. And thrilled that you are here with us to do exactly that. We're actually not going to be doing a typical radio show today because we're going to go out to the Pro Family Legislators Conference and bring you one of our best presentations from that. Um, as you know, if you're a regular listener to Wall Builders Live, we have been doing these Pro Family conferences for legislators from across the nation for years now, well over a decade. I think it's about 15 or 16 years now. And we bring these legislators together. They get a chance to sharpen each other's countenance. They get to exchange ideas. They get to hear from all kinds of fantastic speakers, one of which is Kelly Shackelford. And we have Kelly there almost every year, every chance we can get him. First Liberty, of course, on the front lines of the legal battles for our religious liberty and so many other issues. We really appreciate Kelly and the whole team over at First Liberty. Anyway, he came and shared with the legislators, uh, talked about a lot of the religious liberty cases uh, whether it's Coach Kennedy or Sweet Cakes or Awaken Church, I mean, all the different ones that uh, that they are dealing with and winning and winning. I'm telling you, these guys are phenomenal. They do a fantastic job, and there are huge changes, huge changes in the religious liberty legal battles uh, because of what the U.S. Supreme Court has been doing in a positive way, finally getting it right after many decades of getting it very, very wrong. So let's head out to the Pro Family Legislators Conference, jump in with Kelly Shackelford, and find out what's been going on in the legal world. Here's Kelly Shackelford at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. All right. Um, hey, just like Jacob, I was in uh, Israel only. Mine was, I think I left at 2.30 a.m. from the hotel. 27 hours later at 10 o'clock last night, I got in. So my voice is not full capacity, but I, I think it'll work. Um, what I want to tell you is something that you may not have heard but is probably the most undertold story in the country right now. And, and really, especially for believers, God is doing something very dramatic right now in our country when it comes to religious freedom. And, and I'm going to go through and kind of lay this out for you. And it's going to create tremendous opportunities for you to have impact. So just realize that. Um, but let me, I just wanted to start, I mean, you know, look, I, I don't, it doesn't take a lot of convincing. We just had two wins at the Supreme Court within six days of each other on religious freedom. I mean, this is not stuff that happens. This is really a move of God. Um, but let me, I want to go back to the basics because not everybody in here knows uh, what I do, what we do at First Liberty. First Liberty is the largest legal group in the country that all we do is religious freedom. So let's say you're, uh, you're a first grader and your name is Raymond Rains and you live outside of uh, St. Louis and um, you're caught praying over your meal and you're lifted out of your seat and taken to the principal's office and told, don't ever pray again at school. And you're a poor family. What do you do? I mean, you can't exactly go out and hire a legal team uh, of the best lawyers in the country. So we bring in the best litigators in the country. They all donate their time so that when we win the case, which we did win the case, we, we don't just win for this family, but we set a precedent that protects all of our kids and our grandkids. And that's why we do what we do. And, and I, one of the other things I always like to do when I start talking about this is, is kind of the basics is why, why should you care about religious freedom? Like, should you care if you're not a religious person? Answer is yes. I mean, our founders said this is our first freedom because they understood if you lose this freedom, you lose all your freedoms. And so we have people that send, you know, checks to us every month who aren't people of faith at all. They just come from 
Romania, Czechoslovakia, you name it. I talked to these people all the time. And they said, I saw it happen. You know, they took down their religious symbols. And, you know, two months later, we all lost our political freedoms. And what I found is that people of faith don't really get this either. They think, yes, I want religious freedom because I want the ability for me to live out my faith. That is such a small view of what this really is. Uh, look at any country where totalitarianism, Marxism comes in, communism. What's the first thing that happens? They have to take out the church. They have to control the church. They, I mean, in the USSR, they just murder the priests. But you can look at every country. You'll see the same thing. Why? Well, they can't have a competing authority there. And so the best way I can describe why this is, why this is our first freedom, is the one thing that a totalitarian regime will never allow are citizens who hold an allegiance to one higher than the government. So whenever you see that type of totalitarianism come in, the first flashpoint will always be religious freedom. And if you lose there, you'll lose everything. And so I don't know, look, it doesn't take a, uh, a whole lot to tell you about that. What, what happened in COVID, right? I mean, what happened when you gave mayors, county commissioners, governors power they never had? What was the issue? What was the constitutional issue? It was that the liquor stores was open, the gambling parlor was open, Home Depot was open, Walmart's open. But the one place it was really dangerous is uh, an hour on Sunday at your church, this is just complete nonsense, right? But it's interesting how the flashpoint was that. So this being so important to really all of our freedoms, how are we doing? Well, I probably don't have to convince you. We, we're in a war right now over our religious freedoms. Two years ago, we had 331 cases. Last year, we had 898, okay? It's proliferating. And so, again, take those COVID cases. Um, we won every case we had in COVID. But look, there was no... There was, there was no case law, there was no history, there was nothing on, would well, you have First Amendment rights during an emergency like this, this COVID thing? And we knew how difficult this was going to be, that you go into court, there's no precedent, and you got a federal judge on one side, you got a governor saying, hey, I'm just trying to save, you know, 20 million people's lives. And on the other side, you got a pastor who wants to be open for an hour on Sunday. That's a tough sell. And so we prayed a lot and really probably had about seven or 800 requests to file suits. And, and then all of a sudden, a little over two years ago, we got a call uh, from Louisville. Uh, this was a church called On Fire Christian Church. They decided they wanted to have Easter, and they wanted to be together, but they wanted to be safe. So they came up with the idea of driving in their cars to the church parking lot. The minister would speak over a radio frequency. They could all listen. And I'm no CDC expert, but of course, I don't think the CDC is much of an expert these days either. <laughs> But I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't pass the coronavirus from one automobile to another. And yet, they were told they would be criminally prosecuted if they drove their cars into the church parking lot. And we said, okay, this is China. This is the case, right? And so we filed a lawsuit. And if you remember, the images we were seeing at this time was the guy coming off the beach with his surfboard all by himself being arrested. The, the dad throwing a baseball with his son being handcuffed. Why? Because he was in a park, a park outside where everything is dispersed. I mean, this is the biggest nonsense we've ever seen in our life, right? And everybody was wondering, I mean, has the Constitution been suspended? And this was the first test case in the history of the country. And we got a judge uh, who uh, we filed on Good Friday for an emergency injunction. 
And uh, uh, Judge Justin Walker, federal judge, um, issued a really strong ruling. And I suggest go read it sometimes. It's called On Fire Christian Church, where he starts out saying, you know, this is like some dystopian novel. We're criminalizing an Easter celebration, you know, in an American city. He said, this is irrational. It's unreasonable. It's unconstitutional. And this is never going to happen as long as I'm a federal judge in the United States of America. And he issued a ruling. Yeah. He issued a ruling saying that this was unconstitutional. He then um, spent 20 pages going through that this country was built on religious freedom. But, you know, our goal wasn't just to get, you know, uh, people in their cars in their church parking lot. So our next case was Tabernacle Baptist Church, big church, lots of area, rural area. Again, totally okay to go to the Home Depot, totally okay to go to, uh, you know, all the stores, but the one place you couldn't go, using the same requirements even, you know, social distancing, mask, whatever. You couldn't do that in a church. Well, they couldn't defend that. And so by the time we got through the federal court on that, not only had we won an injunction for Tabernacle Baptist Church, but the uh, African-American attorney general, a guy by the name of Daniel Cameron, really good guy, uh, joined us in suing his own governor on behalf of every other house of worship in the state. And we ended up with a statewide injunction opening every house of worship to be treated just like every other group in the state, not, not like they're some, you know, lower class citizen. It's just the opposite. You know, that's freedom of assembly freedom of religion. I mean, that a n number of constitutional rights. So that, you know, w and we ended up at uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in D.C., where they said it's okay to have 5,000 people BLM protesting without masks, but it's illegal for your church to have 101 people sitting outside with masks and social distancing having a church service. Again, didn't go very well for them. So we won every one of these, but the problem is nobody, none of these cases ever made the Supreme Court. You heard about emergency motions. Those aren't precedent. So we still literally have no precedent in this country over whether the government can control our churches in emergencies. So we're still in a battle over that. And again, it's not just COVID cases. We have synagogues and churches all over the country we're having to defend just for being synagogues and churches. Just finished a case um, in San Diego with Awaken Church where you know they were just going to rent um, the symphony hall uh, during Christmas time because they needed a big place to do their uh, their Christmas pageant. And they went through a long process with them. And at the very end, when everything was worked out, all of a sudden, the symphony hall said, wait, 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 you're a church? And they said, yeah, we're a church. Oh, we don't rent to churches or religious groups. So I appreciate Awaken Church. They're fairly bold. So they called us and said, this doesn't seem right. And said, no, it's not right. Um, and so we, you know, sent them a letter and said, you know, well, we, first we told the church they violated federal law, they violated state law, even California law, okay? You can't do that. And so we sent them a letter and said, hey, you can either follow the law voluntarily or we can have a federal judge help you with that process. Well, they decided they wanted to follow it voluntarily. So Awaken Church in a couple of weeks is about to have their Christmas pageant for a week at the symphony hall. But these are not things we used to have to fight for, right? Um, uh, Chabad on the beaches. We have synagogue cases all over the country where they just want to be synagogues. This is a case outside of New York in Atlantic City where what they did is there was a, a, a facility open for sale, up for sale for two and a half years. Nobody wanted it until the, the Jewish group bought it. And then as soon as they bought it, the city said, oh, we now want it. We're going to take eminent domain. We're going to take it from you. 
And you're like, well, what emergency would you be taking away a synagogue from somebody? Well, because we want to train our lifeguards in that, in that facility. Well, that's not going to work. And in federal court, it didn't work. And we now have an injunction against them. But again, these are the kind of things we're having to fight that we didn't used to have to fight. Just the ability of a church to be a church, a synagogue to be a synagogue. Um, and again, I'll talk at the end, but there are a lot of opportunities for you in this, right? How easy is it to pass a law saying that the government has no authority to ever close a church you know, service, a synagogue? They don't. Um, those, so there's lots of opportunities from what's been going on, but the attacks are definitely out there. Um, it's in the schools, right? I mean, again, I could tell you endless cases in the school. We just finished one with a, a, a young lady by the name of Minara. She, as you know, during COVID, there's lots of laws on protecting people's religious freedom, and that they wanted her to take the, the COVID shot, and she said, I have religious objections. She knew her rights under the law. She went through the process, and they granted her an exemption. So she thought about it, and she thought, you know, I bet there's a lot of other people at my college that probably don't know this, that have religious beliefs that are problematic. So she posted it on her uh, social media. So what did the school do? The school kicked her out of the dorm for posting the law on her social media and then put a, a letter in her file to make it to where she couldn't get a job when she got out. So these Now, by the way, that's over now. As of a couple of weeks ago, uh, after our lawsuit, they've decided that they wanted to change their mind on all that thing, all those kinds of things. But again, I mean, the kind of things that young people are going, I, we just got a new case. You, you won't have heard about it yet because it's not public, where all the kids were doing face paint. But one kid put a cross. They forced him to to take the cross off his face. Okay, these are the kind of things going uh, to kids that are in the school that are just outrageous. And of course, they say, well, just take your go to your just go to religious schools. Don't mess up our public schools with all this religious stuff. Yeah, like they'll leave you alone there. Right. All right, folks, hang on for just a moment. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Wobblers. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity, if you're interested in having a wall builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. This is Tim Barton from Wall Builders with another moment from American history. In 1963, the United States Supreme Court decided that voluntary Bible reading could no longer be part of the school day. Founding Father Benjamin Rush, known as the father of public schools under the Constitution, pointedly warned that the Bible should be read in schools in preference to all other books. He specifically warned that if America ever ceased promoting biblical principles in schools, then we would waste so much time and money in punishing crimes and take so little pains to prevent them. He was right. We now have 7 million Americans in prison, on probation or on parole, and the United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world. 
Sadly, this was unnecessary, but is the result of no longer teaching the morals of the Bible in schools. For more information about the Founding Fathers' views on the positive impact of the Bible in schools, go to wallbuilders.com. Welcome back to Wall Builders. We're going to jump right back into Kelly Shackelford's presentation over at the Pro Family Legislators Conference. Here's Kelly. So we have the Cambridge Christian case. Uh, this is a Christian school. That's actually the state championship in Florida football. Two Christian schools in the state championship. But the Florida High School Athletic Association refused to allow them to have a prayer before their football game. Well, why? Because they were, they were in, you know, the Citrus Bowl. Okay. Oh, because it's a government microphone. Oh, well, I wasn't aware that if you say Jesus over a government microphone, there's a nuclear explosion and everybody dies. Um, but evidently, that's what they think. Um, by the way, this is the same facility that 40 years ago, Billy Graham held a revival. Uh, that was okay, but this is not okay. And uh, one of my favorite things about this case is um, uh, we're now up at the federal. We had an Obama judge below who doesn't understand anything about the First Amendment. So we're having to go to the Federal Court of Appeals where I'm very confident we will win. But one of my favorite parts about the appeal is uh, the Fl Florida High School Athletic Association is a state entity, Right. But another state entity filed a brief, thinking of Governor DeSantis, uh, the Department of Education filed a brief on our side against the, their own Florida High School Athletic Association saying, you can't do this to Christian schools, telling them they can't have a prayer. So uh, we'll see what happens. But again, we're having a fight over the ability for two Christian schools to have a prayer, which is just insane, right? Uh, people running their business. I could give you, uh, you know, just want to run their business according to their faith. I could give you endless cases. But probably one of the biggest ones right now is at the Supreme Court. It's the, you probably heard of this, Sweet Cakes out of Oregon, Aaron and Melissa Klein. They uh, formed a bakery and then uh, had a, a same-sex couple come in and say, we want you to do a custom wedding cake. And, and they served them anything they want, but they said, we can't do that. We can't make, because we, we do that out of our faith. And they gave them a referral to somebody who do a great job. And then the next thing they knew, the state was coming after them. They were fined $135,000. Their business was bankrupted. They were ordered not to speak publicly their beliefs about marriage. Like, that's not a violation of the First Amendment, right? And so we're now sitting at the Supreme Court, because this is in Oregon. And you can imagine the courts in Oregon are not exactly friendly to the Constitution. Um, so we've already been up to the Supreme Court once. They slapped it, slapped them, sent it back down, told them to retry. They've done their retry, and it's not very good. So we're going back up. And again, this could be a huge case, because it would really finally get some precedent that protects people running their business according to their faith at a time when there's a real persecution on that. Uh, and we have another case that's sitting at the Supreme Court right now. I won't go into all the details of it um, because all these woke corporations are, are really attacking people of faith and telling them we've got numbers of cases of people who lost their job because they wouldn't sign a statement that violated their faith. The DEI, you know, officers, right? We want you to sign this. You've got to agree that really there's no difference between male and female. Well, I can't do that. Well, then you're fired. Well, then we'll sue you because that violates religious freedom and, and federal law. Uh, and so we've got a myriad of these lawsuits. But there's one thing at the Supreme Court right now. Uh, it's called Groth, that if they grant, um, it'll, and I think most people think they will, it'll reset religious freedom protection in the workplace in a really strong way that'll protect everybody right at the time when all these woke corporations are trying to really crush people of faith in the workplace. 
So it's there. Uh, it's in the military, right? I could give you endless cases in the military. Um, but probably the most well-known is our Navy SEALs case. And this is uh, 35 Navy SEALs who, uh, 350 years of combat service, many of them suffering, PTSD, other things. Um, and, you know, the, during the COVID requirements, uh, these are all 35 individuals with different faith backgrounds that each had objections to taking the vaccine. And the way the federal law works, it's real clear, they can ask for a religious accommodation. And there's a process they're supposed to go through to see if they can possibly do anything other than cause them to try to violate their faith. Well, instead of going through the process, they just ignored the process and started punishing them immediately. One guy was on his way to uh, his PTSD appointment, and they literally, they called his doctor and said, don't meet with him. Okay, they've taken away their medical insurance for their disabled children. They've stopped their pensions. And by the way, this is not just the SEALs. This is across the military. This is what they're doing. I mean, if they get their way, they will remove 50,000 military families at a time when we can't recruit people to join. This is partly the reason why. Uh, so this is a really important case. Now, the good news is, as soon as we got into court, it didn't go well for them uh, because they're violating federal law. Uh, you know, they even had an inspector general's report that leaked about a month ago where the inspector general said, what are you doing? You're violating federal law. So that all came out in court and we got an injunction against them. And the judge was so infuriated by what happened that he agreed that we should convert this from the Navy SEALs into a class action to protect every single person who serves in the Navy. But this is a really important, I mean, General Boykin, who I think a lot of you know, uh, was with me not too long ago, and he looked at me and he said, he said, this case could save our military. He said, you know, these, these people going to the military, third, fourth, fifth, sixth generation, and you know what they're telling their kids right now? Don't go. I can't tell you what they're going to try to force you to do. He said, you got to win this case. So this is one to really be watching and, and a really important case. Um, now, uh, some of you are saying, gosh, I thought you said there's good news. And, you know, all I've heard is depressing news. Uh, and all these. the good news is we have a method of dealing with all these. And it's working. We've been doing this. I've been doing this for 33 years. Um, and, uh, and that is, if you look at normal nonprofits, I don't care if they're left wing or right wing, what their, their model is, is raise as much money as you can raise. Put, put those attorneys, hire attorneys with that, put them in an office in D.C. or L.A. and then fly them around and cover your cases. That's not our model. Our model is there's all these believers who went to law school because they wanted to stand for what was right. And 30 years later, these are the best litigators at the best law firms in the country, really the best law firms in the world. And they've done honorable work for their clients, but they've never gotten to do a case for the kingdom. So we go and we sit down with them. And we say, look, if we bring you everything you need on our staff or number one in their class, Harvard, Chicago, all the best law schools, and all they do is religious freedom. We've got a whole media division. If we bring everything you need are you willing to give your time on one of these cases and bring your law firm? And they're like, man, I've been waiting 35 years. You signed me up. And you can imagine the first time they get all their skills, their talent, everything they've learned, and these are the best of the best, lined up with the kingdom. They have never felt that before. It's kind of unfair, but we now know we have them for the rest of their lives as one of our volunteer attorneys, because once they do one... They're not going to stop. And they give cover to all the younger attorneys. So if you were to go through the top 100 law firms in the United States, states, you'd find that most of the law firms don't just donate their time with us. They'll literally fight each other over who gets to donate 
uh, their time. So, and the result of that's twofold. One was my plan. The other was God's. Um, my plan was I thought we could get a lot more bang for our buck. Sure enough, average case every ten, well every hundred thousand we spend on a case on average, we get six hundred thousand donated. It's like a six to one, and and you know, you and but the second part is the part I didn't count on, and that is the win loss ratio. Uh, nonprofit legal groups are created to fight something big, some problem. And so if you win 40% of your cases, you're actually doing really good. Our win right now, 23 years in a row, every single year has been above 90%. And this is God's favor, but it's his method. This is the body of Christ, right? I mean, these attorneys are blessed. They finally get to use their talents. These clients get people they could never afford. Every one of our cases, dream teams of people that nobody would pay all these people in one case. And the result is a precedent that protects everybody in the body. So it really is a beautiful way to watch the body of Christ at work. But we can put the most powerful teams in the country together in any place in this country within 30 minutes. And it's because we have the biggest law firm and it's called the body of Christ. So normally I would say to you, okay, that's it, you know, Lots more cases, lots more attacks, but we're winning. But then something started to happen about five years ago. And I started to say as I was speaking, you know, I, I really feel like God is doing something and we might be able to change the future of the country. And about two years ago, I stopped saying that because I started saying we are changing the future of the country. And, and really, it started with the judges. You know, uh, when Trump was in office, obviously, that was a focus um, we felt a real, we felt the Lord really pushing on us to create the best vetting division in the country. And so we went out and raised millions of dollars and put a vetting. We, we figured it was already being done, but, uh, we wanted to make sure it was done really, really well. And what we found out was it really wasn't being done. People were picking friends and all this. And so we were like, I don't care if it's your mother. We don't trust your mother. Show me evidence. Okay. And so, and so the old good old boy thing needs to stop. And we stopped it. We had to actually oppose a couple of Trump's judges, and we stopped them. Um, but uh, the result of the great job that was done by that administration, we have 234 people in those seats that are way beyond anything. It's, these are totally different than anything we've ever done. I mean, highest credentials, youngest Okay, most committed to originalism in the Constitution. We have never done anything like what we did with those judges. And I could give you examples of person after person after person. I'll just give you one real quick. A uh, guy, not in fact, from this area, uh, he top, finished top of his class from law school at University of uh, Texas. Um, finished that, went to work at Baker Botts, one of the bigger law firms in the country. After seven years, decided he wanted to go, you know, put, do something different. So he wanted to go put away, uh, um, you know, terrorist. So he goes to work for the federal prosecutor and putting away terrorists. Wins an award, national award, for putting away terrorists. And uh, until Eric Holder came in as the new attorney general, pulled him off of that and said, hey, um, I want you to work on social justice issues. Well, he left. Uh, he's like, that's not why I went. So where did he go? He came to work for us. And as one of our younger attorneys, at age 38, he was tapped to be a federal judge for the rest of his life. Okay, this is a guy that's brilliant, that would rather die than ever turn from the Constitution. And when my grandkids' kids come into court, he's going to be their judge. All right, folks, we're out of time for today. We're going to have to cut it short and then pick up where we left off. So we'll jump right back in with Kelly tomorrow and get the conclusion of his presentation. 
Thanks so much for listening to Wobble. We stand undivided.